Working with so many families that have children who are more particular or preferential in their eating habits, often referred to as picky eaters, I know a lot of nutritional concerns obviously come up. And so today I thought would be a great time to have Angela Dodge on the show. She's a registered dietitian out of Canada, and she's an expert in iron deficiency. So I want us to get into what iron deficiency is, what are some of the risk factors, what are maybe some of the signs and symptoms that may point to your child having iron deficiency, and how you can begin the process to check for it. That's what we're going to dive into in today's episode. And then come back on Wednesday, because then we're going to talk a little bit more about iron supplementation, if that is necessary, and how to approach that, as well as how you can help to optimize iron in the diet with a foods first approach, and how to monitor and evaluate your child's iron status over time so you can make sure that they're getting this really important micronutrient, even if they're a picky eater, even if they have selective food preferences, even if they're omitting different food groups. Some of the things that you might be curious about and want to ask a dietitian about Angela and I are here to converse about it today and hopefully shed some light on this subject so that you walk away more informed and equipped on how to help your child get adequate iron. Hey mama, I'm Ashley and welcome to the Veggies and Virtue podcast. In this podcast, you will find simple menu ideas, kitchen organizational systems spelled out for mom life and feeding tips and tricks that are both evidence-based and grace-laced. I believe that you can find flexibility when it comes to feeding your family so that you can feel calm, capable, and connected in the kitchen. As a registered dietitian and Christian mom of three myself, I want you to break free from the mealtime battles and to feel equipped while feeding your kids all day long. Pull up a stool at my kitchen counter and let me pour you a cup of coffee and say a quick prayer for you. It's time to chat about the mealtimes, messes, moments, and ministry of motherhood. Today you are in for a real treat because I am interviewing Angela Dodge. Angela is a registered dietitian with over 20 years of experience in pediatric and childhood nutrition. She worked for 15 years as a clinical dietitian in acute care pediatric hematology and oncology, where she was continually reminded of the effect food and nourishment have on health and also the healing of children. Angela co-founded the virtual nutrition consulting practice, Nourish Beginnings, in 2018 with a good friend and colleague of mine, Noelle Martin, and that's how I've had the opportunity to get to know Angela and also trust her expertise in a lot of different areas. Within their consulting practice, Nourish Beginnings, Angela's focus and purpose has been aimed at educating families and practitioners that what we feed our children 100% has an effect, either positive or negative, on how they learn, grow, feel, and behave. Angela's goal is to help moms improve their children's attention, focus, mood, growth, and behavior through the effective and realistic use of food and targeted supplements. She is an expert on all things iron deficiency, identifying some of the most common signs and symptoms that this is a problem for children or could become a problem. And so I encourage you to scroll down on the show notes, make sure to check out the links that help direct you to Angela, her services, her expertise. She's also on Instagram at nourished.beginnings.kids and is a great resource for any parent who finds benefit in this show and the work that Veggies and Virtue does. Angela is a very gifted colleague that I'm thankful to get to share with each of you today. Okay, today we have a special guest on the show. Angela Dodge is here to chat with us about iron deficiency. And I've had the pleasure of getting to know Ange through social media over the last few years. And I'm just thankful for her to come in as our resident expert 
on all things iron deficiency, supplementation, and just further help uh, kind of add to the conversation of how we can make sure our kids are getting the nutritional support that they need. So Angie, do you mind just kind of sharing a little bit more about yourself with my community and telling them some of your um, areas of specialty and the families you serve? Yeah, definitely. I'm so happy to be on here. This is like a topic that I talk about incessantly. So you've probably seen that also. (laughs) But I have been a pediatric dietitian for about 21 years, Ashley. Oh my goodness. I know. So I've been in pediatric oncology and hematology at an acute care hospital here in Canada. I am in Canada. I'm not in the U.S., um, I did that for about 15 years and then in private practice for about five of the following years, following kids with iron deficiency, ADHD, mental health, um, concerns, supplementation. And that's kind of the, the families that I focus on right now. I love that. I love that. And that'll be so helpful to kind of, for people to know that background for you. And that, like you said, you could probably talk about this in your sleep and yet it's very unfamiliar to, mm-hmm. I know a lot of my listeners, but also not, not something that I've really gotten into too much on the podcast. So I am going to break this episode up into two. So everyone can hopefully listen to it in the little pockets of time that they get as busy moms, but I'd love to just kind of dive right in. So as we get into getting to ask you all things, iron deficiency, Some families may be familiar with the term anemic or iron just from when their child maybe was an infant or their increased iron needs in pregnancy. I mean, we kind of have these different life stages or situations families may be familiar with iron in the context of, but walk us through a little bit more of what is iron deficiency and why should parents even care about it or have it on their radar as a potential concern with their child? Good topic to start with because I sometimes I'm like, okay, how is the, what's the easiest way to explain this? Cause there's, it's, you know, anything with the blood, it's going to be a little bit tricky, but basically, so the thing about the really fascinating thing about iron is you can only get it through food or supplements. Like our body is not innately making any iron at all. So we have to be taking it in from somewhere. So that's where this deficiency comes in. But in terms of what the blood is, so in a normal person's blood, so if we're walking around, we have these really, if it'd be nice if I could show a picture, obviously, but um, just to kind of explain it in the blood, there's these red blood cells that kind of look like little donuts, big, robust little donuts that have this thing called hemoglobin inside of it. And the hemoglobin sort of helps oxygen move around our kids' bodies. So when someone has a low intake of that iron member from, you know, not taking it in in food or supplements, those little donuts become smaller. There's not enough hemoglobin inside. So there's not this oxygen moving around the body. So kids start to feel a little bit, you know, they might look pale because they don't have that rosy color from the hemoglobin in the red blood cells and they're tired because they're not getting oxygen. So it can go in phases, iron deficiency. It can start with just a low iron, moves into a deficiency where it's like, oh, we're trending towards getting a little bit lower and lower in iron, and then it becomes a full iron deficiency anemia, where you know your hemoglobin's low, your low iron, your low ferritin, all of these things that we can talk about later. But it is a phase that we, I always wanna catch people before they get to that deficiency or that anemia stage before things get a little bit worse. But so that's kind of, I don't know if that's helpful. It's very helpful. And I think 
it segues us really well into some of the other things that we'll be talking about in this episode in the next second half of it, because when we look at risk factors for iron deficiency mm-hmm. anemia, I know we both work with pediatric populations and with families. And so sometimes parents can recognize my child's picky or, you know, yeah. preferential towards different food groups. You talk about the need for it to either be supplemented or consumed through food. And oftentimes you and I both know, and I think some parents suspect that if their kids are omitting different food groups or just food types in general, that maybe iron is of concern. But what would you say that you see as some of the most prevalent risk factors that might be telltale signs for families that there could be an issue with impaired iron status in their child and maybe even in themselves? There's a, there's actually a lot of risk factors, to be honest. There's there's different stages and phases in life where kids need a lot more iron than, you know, in infancy, they're going to need a ton. That brain is really growing. It's kind of sucking up all the iron around it for growth. Kids that are on a, like a low iron diet. So maybe they're having a vegetarian or vegan diet. And that's not to say that's not great. We can't, you know, kids can follow that type of diet. It's just a little bit, we have to be a little more cautious about where we're getting our iron from. I see a lot of kids with um, not necessarily absorption issues. So say somebody with irritable bowel, or maybe they have celiac disease or Crohn's disease or colitis, where they're not actually absorbing the nutrients that they're taking in so that, you know, they become at risk for low iron and some other deficiencies as well. Kids that are growing really rapidly, (laughs) again, athletes, growth spurts, they're sucking up all that energy and all that, those iron um, rich stores and from food. Sometimes you see, I don't know if this is a lot of the kids you see, but in breastfed or um, babies that are drinking a lot of milk, doesn't have iron in it. So they're not getting a lot of iron. We can talk about that after in terms of um, babies and and ironing milk, but kids with also, if they're premature or if they were low birth weight when they were babies, they've probably been put on iron because of that. I see a lot of kids with behavioral concerns like ADHD um, or suspected ADHD. And the first thing we do when we see them is test their iron because those tend to be a correlation between behavior and um, low iron status. But that's a lot. That was probably a lot for people. <laughs> no, but I think it's helpful because I think it's not just kind of the one thing that parents may hear. Yeah. Oh, I know this one person who has it, or, you know, it's not just one certain demographic or profile or person, you know, lifestyle choice or different dynamics, but whether we look at physical, social, physiological, you know, inherent, just so many different things that could put a child at increased risk. And again, it doesn't mean that anyone in one of those scenarios is going to, but it just kind of helps parents realize that if one of these things is evident in your child, it may mean that it's worth evaluating this, especially if you see some of kind of the most common signs and symptoms. So walk a parent through what maybe kind of like the first thing that they should be looking for when it comes to identifying iron deficiency, knowing the risk factors, knowing some of those things may predispose their child to have iron deficiency, what would you consider some of the red flags that a parent really wants to tune into to say, okay, yes, my child might have neurodivergence or have just been diagnosed with ADHD, or I know that they've been diagnosed with celiac disease and we're kind of just getting into the world of all 
the ways that that impacts our life and their health. You know, my child may consume a lot of milk and I don't know, you know, we're still introducing (laughs) solids and still kind of trying to figure out our diet apart from milk. How do I know if these things are just a risk factor or something that's a little bit more of what a parent should see as a red flag? Mm -hmm. I, I like to, when I'm talking to families, I kind of break it up into two sections. So there's those physical signs that we might see, signs and symptoms. It's, you know, the first thing that we think about. And then there's a, the b- brain and behavior because that the iron is so needed for the brain that it can kind of cause some issues there. But in terms of physical, those are generally the first things that parents might see. So they might see a child, um, maybe it's hard to tell because parents see their child every single day. So when they become sort of this pale little ghost, like their skin is a little bit see-through, you can kind of see, you know, maybe some, um, depending on how pale they are. And there's all genetic factors, obviously, in terms of some families are more pale than others. Um, Their skin is a little bit see-through. So that's one indication. I always, my husband always laughs because, I kind of, I've done, done this for so long. I sort of, I'm like scanning kids whenever we're out. I'm like, oh, oh, I wish I could go talk to them right now. Like I can kind of spot them when, after seeing them so much, but they get this pale skin. They might have these eyelids that are pale. I know it, we had a little one that came in. He, um, him and his brother have the little spoon nails. So they're not growing flat anymore. They're sort of, um, growing upwards they're thin and growing upwards they have little white spots in them so those are you know signs you're looking at they might have really cold hands and feet they're really tired overly tired that you wouldn't really think like the and the problem with kids is they're very resilient so they can live with a really low iron for a long time until it hits right Uh, maybe they're getting a lot of headaches we see a lot of kids with headaches especially on standing they get really dizzy um, and if you can rule out that they're not dehydrated, because <laughs> that can cause a lot of headaches as well, but we see those a lot and, and not growing, especially in height, um, they might not actually be meeting their potential. So maybe they've plateaued on their growth chart. That might be an indication for a family that they're like, oh, well, they're not really growing like they used to be, or maybe their intake intake of food isn't that much anymore. They're wanting to chew like food non-food items you know we've had uh, elastic bands dirt (laughs) sand different toys paper a lot those are kind of the physical signs and then in the behavioral part that's mostly what I see in my practice so you know that physical signs are sort of the first indication and then they might be like oh well my kid is really irritable and that can happen in adults as well (laughs) That's a key indicator, this up and down emotional outbursts, tantrums, maybe they're really hyperactive. They're not, you know, they can't sit still. They have these um, emotional dysregulation where they just cannot bring everything together. We know there's studies that show the correlation between irritability and lack of focus and concentration the high, the more deficient in iron the child is, the higher or the the less likely they are they are to be able to do those things. So we see that a lot in kids with ADHD and and sort of these mental health concerns. But 
poor grades, learning difficulties. We know, and especially in, um, see, I could talk about this forever, but in actually in adolescent girls that are having like heavy periods that are losing a lot of iron, they, they've done these studies to show that they're a little bit lower scores in mathematics than their counterparts and very low iron. So there's that correlation between that. It's really interesting to find those kind of behavioral things as well. But that's kind of a lot for people. No, but I think it's really validating because I think so often as parents, I mean, we only know what we know. And for most of us, thankfully, we learn more as we go. And as you, you know, talk with other parents or maybe healthcare practitioners or, you know, just different people, you kind of learn how to put together the pieces, like the puzzle pieces of your child and whatever their, um, you know, makeup is meant to be as, but I think so often it's like, well, we don't know why they're irritable or we can't, we can't put our finger on why they're so tired or, you know, we just kind of look for high level answers without understanding like how everything kind of fits together. Mm -hmm. So I think it's helpful for families to realize it can present a lot of different ways And as you mentioned before, depending on the severity of the iron deficiency, it may have just started out as kind of one thing that's a very easy clue to miss, but then as more things kind of, you know, if out of the things that maybe this would be helpful too to families is to know out of the things that you just said, you know, how many of those things tend to be present by the time you tend to see a family, because Mm -hmm. obviously a family that's super proactive and even has the knowledge to know oh, this is iron deficiency. I would assume that for most families, they're not catching it until quite a bit later when the learning challenges have gotten much more, you know, significant, the behavioral challenges have become much more significant, the nutritional challenges have become much more significant. Most parents don't know to kind of start with, oh, iron might be at the root of this. Yeah. And it's not to say that's a fix for everything. Like, I don't want people to think, oh, I go and get my iron fix with Angela. I know all of these things will be better but it's definitely something to look at. And it's true. We get kids when I do an assessment, when they come through, it's, it's like five, six, seven, eight of those symptoms by the time they see me. So it's not, it's unfortunate because we wish we could catch it early or that it was talked about a little bit more. And there are a lot that we can stick. Like as soon as we start to replace that iron, I don't want to discourage families because things get a lot better. Maybe they start to sleep better. They have more energy. They don't feel as lethargic and tired anymore. They're not eating different things that they shouldn't be eating. Like those types of things can be reversed really quickly. It's more sort of the cognition and the brain development as babies. If we don't intercept that quickly, that can can have long-term effects, but. It is true. They have, when they come to see me, it's. So I think that's a helpful kind of place to transition to, because seeing how if there's five, six, eight, ten, you know, yeah. of those signs or symptoms that are, that are prevalent at the time that a family might have an assessment with you, where would you say that parents can kind of take that first step, knowing that some of these things are going to be easier, quicker to resolve with the proper intervention? But what would you say that um, parents can kind of do to first evaluate? I know you and I had spoke before about blood work being an obvious one, but kind of walk families through kind of what to expect, how to initiate that process mm-hmm. with their healthcare providers. Is it, you know, reaching out to a pediatric dietitian like yourself? Is it them getting into a, you know, pediatrician visit? What kind of walk parents through what your recommended approach would be when they first say, you know, I think, I think something might be off. I think that it could be 
iron, or I at least want to take a further look at that. Yeah. And there's lots of those families that have that intuition, right? They know there's something. So then they come to me or they'll send me a message. They're like, I think there's something. What should I do first? And so that's the first thing we do is do blood work. And so I would encourage families. I've been doing this for a long time. And there's, I find there's two sort of sets of, not to say when they go see a practitioner, like they feel something's wrong. They go to a practitioner. Sometimes they're pushed off. Oh, it's fine. They'll grow out of it. It's okay. And others are very like, yes, I, I let's move forward. I think that you're, you have something here. So then you would get blood work done. And I know that's kind of a barrier for families and some practitioners because they don't want to poke a child for no reason but there's always a reason. Like if you look at sort of all these signs and symptoms, there's definitely something that is happening. So we should get blood work. And the problem with iron is, you know, you might see this too, where, you know, vitamin D, we know most everybody is low, probably like everyone can have a supplement. It's generally safe. Omega fats are generally safe. Iron to supplement that is very too much iron can be just as bad as too little iron. So we need to know those numbers going forward. So it's just a matter of having that information, getting it's parents like to know that they like to know, okay, where are we starting at? What interventions can we do? And where are we going to end at? So I would just recommend that chatting with your family physician. And unfortunately, as a dietitian, even when I'm working with families in Canada, we can't order blood work. So I always have to send off a fax, a letter to the family doctor of the client that I'm working with to say, this is what we're doing. Can you please order this blood work for me? Making sure they're getting the right panel done and all of that. And sometimes they'll push back and then I push back again <laughs> and just outlining why we're doing this. But so I don't know in the States if it's a little bit different, but. No. And I see it being it. very similar because I think you know, when families have that intuition that something is off and we've kind of maybe addressed this as many ways as we know how with the tools that we Mm -hmm. have, you know, again, we only know what we know, but I think when families have that intuition and they suspect something else for someone like a pediatric dietitian to advocate on their behalf, but also to help address, this is the proper panel, as you said, because Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's like, well, we don't want to just go have our child be poked unnecessarily a bunch of times, but if one blood draw could give us a multitude of answers and even more so that quantitative data to be able to assess over time. And I know that's something you and I'll chat about, but for us to be able to kind of monitor and evaluate and measure is what our intervention is doing. Is it even working? Is it helping? Mm -hmm. Is it helping at the rate we would expect? And we can kind of measure and monitor in that regard, but we're helping make sure that it's done as efficiently as possible so that we're not, you know, anchoring unnecessary healthcare costs, uh, you know, or, you know, doctor visits or blood draws or different things like that. So I think that's really helpful. And I don't think it's something that parents always feel empowered to initiate on their own Mm -hmm. because it is a little like, well, I don't really know. I might just be taking a shot in the dark, but should we get their blood drawn and see what the numbers tell us? And that's assuming the parent maybe even knows how to analyze what the numbers say. Yeah. And that's a very difficult (laughs) Because I do get a lot of families that say, well, I had blood work done and my doctor said it was fine. And so, yeah. and they don't know. They 
it's not their job to know what those numbers are as a parent. But when you look at when they have me look at it or we get the right blood work done, looking at symptoms, looking at growth, all of those things, kind of putting it together is is where it's going to make the most effect. But yeah, it's, it's, it's always hard with those blood work panels too. So I think on that note, you know, it might be a helpful place for us to kind of wrap up part one of the conversation, then we can pick back up for part two. But because parents rely so heavily on their child's pediatrician often before they may reach out to someone like yourself or myself to evaluate additional, you know, what's going on analysis, you obviously specialize in iron deficiency, specifically ADHD, a lot of these different areas we talked about in the intro, but talk with a parent of maybe kind of what is their best next step. If they're listening to this episode and they just have that little, you know, into it, like most of my audience is made up of moms. So kind of that mom intuition of, I don't know, maybe this could be it. It might not be, but as you mentioned, there can be harm to taking iron supplementation without it being necessary. Some parents kind of put the blanket multivitamin out there and just kind of say, we'll just cover our bases and figure out it's all okay. And because the doctor says that their blood work is normal, you know, within the range of normal, you and I both know specifically with like vitamin D, iron, different things, what, uh, what might be considered within normal ranges and what we see as optimal is very different. Right. And so Give the, give the mom listening maybe, you know, what their next action item could be of pursuing with the pediatrician, you know, is it going in and getting a visit? Is it just calling and say, Hey, I want blood work done. This is the panel, you know, that I feel like is most appropriate. Kind of where would you guide that parent? If not to just directly to reach out to someone like yourself, what would you advise that they do with their primary healthcare provider to kind of initiate those next steps? It's going to take a visit. And you can take in, you know, I, I always encourage families take in the information. So sometimes I'll get families to keep track. I never love food records or food journals, but sometimes just keeping track on a free app online, like chronometer or whatever, putting in what the child eats for a week, few days, and just showing, oh, like it's pretty low in iron or it's pretty low in vitamin D. The problem is sometimes it might look, the numbers might look okay in terms of amount, but maybe they're not absorbing it as well, or there's other issues. So, you know, that can sometimes backfire, but information in um, taking all, write it down, all your signs and symptoms that you might be seeing, taking those values in and just asking for blood work. That's it's, really all you can do. Um, Some people will see a naturopath that might be more apt to order it. It it should be something that's ordered anyways, all the time. And and different pediatric societies around the world have different, you know, um, times when they will routinely order blood work for this. But if you have those intuitions that something is wrong, you listen to this, you know, you have those signs and symptoms. I would just go in and ask. That's all you can do. There's no other way we can sort of figure out what their iron status is without having blood work. Yes, Unfortunately, okay. I wish I could pick, if I could pick, figure something out, then I would be really popular. <laughs> and because 
you know, frequent, even, you know, I know you have three kids yourself. I have three myself. Routine blood work is done less and less as kids yeah. get older and older. Mm-hmm. So it's like really once you've gotten out of kind of some of that routine blood work of infancy and, you know, as your child later develops. And as you mentioned at the beginning with the risk factors, different periods of growth and seasons of life are going to put more iron, uh, more demand for iron on your child's body. So really just getting an up-to-date blood draw and uh, having a health professional, whether it be starting with the pediatrician to at least get those basic numbers or reaching out to someone like a pediatric dietitian can kind of give you that starting place to then see if and what is needed and how we can kind of monitor it from there. Well, great. Well, we are going to wrap up today's episode so that we can kind of jump into chatting more about what to do. Once you have kind of taken these initial steps, if you're a parent that does have concern over iron deficiency, you want to begin addressing it. You've maybe gotten blood work done for your child. I want to encourage parents, if you feel that little nudge right now, go reach out to your pediatrician, reach out to Ange, reach out to myself, reach out to someone who can help initiate this process for you. So then as we pick up in part two, uh, the next episode coming out in a few days, then we can address a little bit more of kind of what is the action plan? What is the supplementation or the intervention that we would recommend and how to kind of begin monitoring and evaluate. So hopefully you can start correcting that. So Ange, thank you so much for being on this episode. Go ahead and I'm going to have you tell me this two times on each episode, but go ahead and tell my listeners a little bit more about where they can find you, how they can connect with you if they want to say, take a next step right from today. Definitely. So you can find us mostly on Instagram. That's kind of at nourish.beginnings.kids. We do a lot of uh, free information over there on our website, nourishbeginnings.ca. On there, you can find sort of links to book a time or a a time to chat with one of us um, just to see how working together would be. It can be difficult as we're in Canada and maybe you have U.S. clients, so we we can work through those things as well. But um, maybe referring back and forth between you and Sue and I, actually, <laughs> if we yes. have someone in the Canada. And I know that you offer, obviously, sometimes a personalized care plan is necessary. I know that's something you mm-hmm. and I both feel very passionate about, but also, you know, being able to help parents find appropriate tools, knowing that you provide a lot of really great evidence-based information that can still help parents kind of navigate through that, even if they're needing to initiate with a local pediatrician or someone who's in network with their insurance or something like that, but still be able to kind of have that assisted support. So um, knowing that I have listeners all over the globe, I'm glad to know that um, I always refer to you and Noel up in Canada and know that you guys <laughs> offer a great service to families who live in Canada, but I'm thankful to have you on the show to just be able to reach so many others as well with this information. And hopefully everyone will join us back for the second part of this episode. Thank you. It has been a joy having you on the podcast today. And if you've enjoyed it as well, I have a quick favor to ask. Do you mind hopping over to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a written review? This will only take you a hot second, but it truly blesses me every time I get to read what one of you write over there. And it allows me to bless others through this podcast and the episodes to come. The other thing that you can do is to take a screenshot of this episode and tag me over on Instagram at veggies and virtue. I would love to see what action steps that you're taking from this episode and also to support your family in the journey moving forward. 
Until next time, thanks for coming over to chat at my kitchen counter. Remember that you will always have a seat and a snack waiting for you here.